Well, this has been a fantastic month. We've been talking about honor all month. And, uh, you know, the first week I established that, you know, everyone, everyone is worthy of honor because everyone is made in the image of God. And I explained how in the concept of honor, it is, it is about acknowledging the gift that other people uh, are to your life. And when we do that, when we can acknowledge who other people are, we can build a healthy body of Christ. You know, in fact, the, the fivefold ministry gifts, the apostolic church of Jesus Christ is dependent on a culture of honor. As each one of the fivefold leadership gifts has to honor the, the gift that the other is to the body of Christ in order for the church to function. And it's just so as is the leadership of the house, so is the rest of the body, so is our culture. We need to honor the gift that each individual is to our life so that we can be together the people that God has called us to be. Then in the second week, we talked about this, uh, about honor. I talked about how we counter cancel culture. And I explained from Scripture how the foundation for building a culture of honor is humility and, uh, and how we need to be humble enough to esteem others better than ourselves. And then I gave you a homework assignment. I don't know how many of you did it, but the homework assignment was that afterwards you were to eulogize somebody who was living. Eulogize the living. Write a letter, uh, you know, make a phone call, do something to, to just let someone know how much they have impacted your life and made a difference in you. Then last week, which was Pentecost Sunday, uh, you know, I, I read from uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 32, where the Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. And I, and I showed you how that verse about don't grieve the Holy Spirit is wedged in the context of not allowing offensive speech to come out of your mouth against one another in the body of Christ. That the way we grieve Holy Spirit is when we uh, of, uh, cause an offense in the body of Christ or... And get this, when we walk around on hold offenses as believers in the body of Christ. And we need, to, we need to be people who seek not to offend, but I think maybe even more importantly, we need to be a people who seek not to be offended. We need to stop walking around with this 10-pound chip on our shoulder about something that somebody did, somebody said, somebody didn't do, somebody didn't say, and picking up an offense and carrying that. And, and I've said many times before here at Desert Stream that, that carrying an offense against another person is like locking yourself in a prison cell and then swallowing the key. You're the only person who can let you out of that prison cell. And uh, you need to recognize that holding that offense is actually grieving the Holy Spirit. We have no right to be offended. Instead, we should let go of all offense and forgive one another in the body of Christ just as Christ has forgiven us. Amen? So today I want to finish off talking about honor, uh, the theme of this month, by putting the icing on the proverbial cake, if you will. And I think the icing on the cake of honor is the power of celebration. I want to talk today about the power of celebration, how important it is in building a culture of honor for us to celebrate one another in the body of Christ. Father, I just ask today that you would help us as we look to your word to be able to understand the power 
of celebration. And that, Father, you would uh, use the words that I share today to minister the truth about honor to the hearts of those that are listening. And whether they hear it this morning on Sunday or whether they listen through the week, that, God, there would be an anointing that rests on what is shared today because it is so important that we learn the power of celebration in building a culture of honor. Father, I bless you today. I ask for your guidance and strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but last night was a hard night. It was a hard night. You know, as I watched my beloved Leafs uh, give away, you know, another game and uh, give it away in overtime, get an assist on Montreal's goal, it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. And, you know, (laughs) it's tough to celebrate when your team is not the one winning. But that's not the kind of celebration I really want to talk about today. I'm not talking about sports. I'm talking about the power of celebrating another individual and the gift that they are in the body of Christ and the gift that they are to you. And uh, as I talk about that, we need, first of all, to learn the first key in in the spirit and the power of celebration is to learn to celebrate what God celebrates. We need to learn to celebrate what God celebrates. Now, perhaps you've heard this phrase before uh, or something like it. It goes like this. Don't ask God to bless what you're doing. Rather, find out what God is blessing and do that. How many have heard that phrase before or something similar? Don't ask God to bless what you're doing, but instead find out what God is blessing and then do that. So if you've heard that, then you get a bit of an understanding of what I'm talking about this morning when I talk about celebrating what God celebrates. You need to find out the heart of God, what it is that's important to the Lord, and then you need to champion that. You need to celebrate that. You need to be all over what God loves and God celebrates. In Luke chapter 15, we have a collection of three parables, three parables that are all built around the theme of celebration. First is the parable of the lost sheep in verses 4 to 7. Second is the parable of the lost coin, verses 8 to 10. And then finally, the longest and most well-known parable, the parable of the prodigal son, which is from verses 11 to 31. Now, it's true that all three of these parables are about the power of redemption and of the power of the lost being found. But what I find unique about all three of these parables is the spirit of celebration that surrounds the event of the lost being found. It's that spirit of celebration, I think, that gives us insight into the very heart of God. First, look at the man who finds his sheep. And I find this parable fascinating, especially if you look at it through the eyes of an investor. What kind of an investor would go after and pursue the 1% and ignore the 99% that is safe and is secure? he'd probably consider a 1% loss to be acceptable loss. And if you look at this parable through the lens of an investor, it makes no sense at all. But when you view this parable through the context of what God celebrates, which is life, which is, is somebody in the family, when you view it through that lens, this parable makes perfectly good sense. As a parent, it wouldn't matter if you had five children or a hundred children. If one fell in the river, you're going to dive in, right, Mike, and save that one and, 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 and just trust that the other four on shore aren't going to jump in and follow you as you try to redeem that one life. Because every life is precious to God. 
And so we have to understand that, that there is more celebration. That whole thing story sums up when it says one sinner repents than over the 99 persons who need no repentance, if such a person actually exists that needs no repentance. But the focus is on the one who responds. Secondly, you know, is the story of the woman who loses one of 10 coins. So we go from a 1% loss to a 10% loss. And here we're talking about coins. uh, And she carefully lights her lamp, the Bible says, sweeps her home, searches and searches until she finds that lost coin. And when she finds it, what I find fascinating about this story is that then she calls her neighbors over, she gathers everybody together, and she has a party. She celebrates the fact that she found that which was lost. And that story likewise concludes that there is joy in heaven in the presence of the angels of God when one sinner comes to the Lord. So here again, we see the power in heaven of celebration, God celebrating life coming to him. Now, thirdly is the story of the prodigal son. And unlike the first story of the lost sheep, which is a 1% loss, or the story of the coin, which is a 10% loss, here we have one of two sons who goes to his father and says, Dad, he says, I, I don't want to be under your thumb anymore. I don't want to live in this house anymore. I want to go do my own thing. I want, you to, I want you to give me my inheritance today. No greater insult could there be than to say, basically, I wish you were dead. I want what's mine today. That's what the prodigal son did. And so he takes all that wealth and he goes, and the Bible says he squandered it on prodigal living. Now, for those of you who don't know what that means, it means he did everything that you can think of to waste his money on riotous living that he could could enter his mind. And he he found himself then in the midst of a famine with absolutely nothing left. And in order to survive, he took a job feeding pigs. And if you are familiar with uh, the Hebraic culture, uh, they don't eat pork. They, to be in contact with pigs is an unclean animal. And so he finds himself, the Bible says he, he, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the, the pods, the food that he was giving to the pigs. That's how low he got. And then finally, it says he came to his senses and he thought to himself, listen, I'll go back. I'll offer myself to my dad as a servant. I'm not worthy to be a son, but I'll offer myself as a servant because even his servants are living better than I am. And so he goes back to his dad, and of course, you guys know the story. The father rushes out, meets his son while he's still walking up the laneway, basically, throws his robe around him, puts his ring on his finger, you know, calls for the fatted calf to be killed. We need to celebrate. He said, we need to celebrate. We need to have a party. He said, because my son who was lost has been found. He's come to his senses. He's home. So then you remember the story of the the other brother, the brother who didn't leave, he hears all the partying going on because he was out in the field working like a diligent son. And he comes, he comes in and he goes to one of the servants, like, what's going on? Oh, your brother's come home and your dad's killed a fatted calf. He's, he's serving veal tonight, you know. Uh, there's a big party. And he is angry. Man, he is so mad that this is happening. And then his father looks at him and he says, it's right that we should be make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and he is now alive again. It's right that we should celebrate. What powerful words. It is right that we should celebrate. Do you hear that this morning, church? It is right that we should celebrate. And we should celebrate everything that God celebrates. 
If God is celebrating something, we should be celebrating it. If God celebrates somebody coming back to him, somebody who rejected him, somebody who spurned his love and his affection, and they come back, they come to their senses and come back, we should celebrate it. And how should we celebrate it? It should be for them like they never left. That's how we should celebrate it. It's right that we should celebrate. We, God celebrates redemption. God celebrates forgiveness. God celebrates restoration. God celebrates life. We should celebrate those things. Bottom line is that God celebrates people because he loves people. He celebrates people who wander and come home. He celebrates people who are lost and are found. He celebrates people who have intentionally rejected him but finally come to their senses and return to him, and he celebrates them. God celebrates people. And and the people that he celebrates, I think the most, are people that are in his family. You know, and and that's the first thing he does is that when you come back to him, he just gathers you back into the fold, back into his family. He, he takes you from the outside and brings you to the inside. That's what God does. In making his point about how he celebrates redemption in this story, these stories, he moves from the 1% of the herd to the 10% of a lost fortune to the redemption of a precious son. God is trying to drive home the message that life is worth celebrating. And when God... Uh, celebrates, God does an amazing job at celebrating. In fact, the Bible says all heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance. That's a major celebration, all of heaven rejoicing. So we need to find what God celebrates, and that is life, and we need to celebrate it as well. Now, the second point I want you to understand is this, that We need to find what God celebrates and celebrate that, yes. But we need to also recognize there is something that he celebrates that's very important to him, and that is you. That is you. God celebrates people coming to him. God celebrates the lost being found. But hidden in that truth is the fact that the day you came to Christ, the day that you came to your senses, the day that you said yes, the day that you humbled yourself to him, all heaven rejoiced. You know, we read these stories and we think, yes, God rejoices when somebody comes in, but we miss the fact that God rejoiced when you came to him, when I came to him. There was a party in heaven when I came to the Lord. God celebrated me. That's a pretty humbling truth. Mike, God celebrated you. He celebrated you. Connie, God God celebrated you. When you came to him and he, he threw a party and, and he said, my daughter is home. My daughter's home. God celebrates us. Why? Because we're fearfully and wonderfully made by him. He celebrates us because we're made in his very image. His very image. Not that Mike or Mark, that means that God is also, you know, losing hair up here. I think the, the image thing isn't really about that, just so you guys know. Uh, it's bigger than that. But... Uh, <laughs> God celebrates that we're made in his image. He celebrates you that you were specifically gifted by him and that you were specifically called by him. God celebrates everything about you. The day you were born, God celebrated, and the day you were born again, God celebrated. Amen? God celebrates you. 
God celebrates you. And here's the beautiful thing. He continues to celebrate you every single day. Every day that every victory you have, every triumph you experience, God is there. And he's saying, way to go. Way to go, girl. Way to go, son. God celebrates you. God loves you. He blesses you. He celebrates you. You have to comprehend how much God is overjoyed with you. And we tend to think, well, God couldn't possibly be overjoyed with me because you have no idea what I have done this week. I have been a bad person. God couldn't possibly be celebrating me. But he doesn't celebrate me because of what I've done. He celebrates me because of who I am. Do you understand the difference? It's about who I am. Listen to what best-selling author and theologian J.I. Packer had to say about this. And I think that you need to hear this this morning. It's so powerful. He said, what matters supremely is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I'm never out of his mind. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off me or his tension is distracted from me. Oh, man, I love that quote. That is how God feels about us. That's how God feels about you. Amen? And if I could get a hold of Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner today, I'd say, that's how God feels about you. It isn't about the fact that you guys have only combined for one goal in the whole series. It's not about performance. It's about who you are. God loves you. Amen? And here's the beautiful thing. If we can get that deep into our spirit, it empowers us to do better. It empowers us to be more and to do more and to be an exceptional impact in our world when we get a hold of the fact that God is absolutely captivated by us. So if we can understand the power of celebrating what God celebrates, and then the fact that God celebrates me, then what does that do? That empowers me, thirdly, to celebrate others. It empowers me to celebrate others. Because if you can't grasp how loved you are, then you're going to have a difficult time loving other people as well. However, when you know whose you are, when you know that you're loved by God, then that gives you the ability to uh, uh, pour out your love and your affection on others and recognize that they're just as celebrated as you are by the Father. Now, in order to really put this in perspective, we need to understand just how does God manifest his love and his affection towards us. So there's two key ways, and we talked about this on Good Friday and Easter, but this is how God manifests his love towards us. God manifests his love towards us in mercy and grace. And if we can grasp the magnitude of God's mercy and the magnitude of God's grace that has been thrown upon lavishly upon us, then we will not have any trouble giving the same to others. Now, what is mercy? What is mercy? Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. 
The Bible is very plain about the fact that, that our sins have earned us death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So what is mercy? Mercy is God uh, compassionately not giving to us what we have deserved or earned. Not understanding God's mercy causes us as believers to do some pretty weird things. And I've had many times when I've encountered a believer looking at somebody who's sick or somebody who's experiencing financial loss or misfortune and looked them square in the eye. And are you ready for this, Leah? They looked at them and said, there must be sin in your life. That's why you're experiencing that. When you say that, when you let those words come out of your mouth, it, it, it exposes the fact that you completely don't understand God's mercy. Because the reality is that God is not sitting up there going, bam, bam, bam. Every time we mess up, he's, he's zapping us with a, another problem, another sickness, or another illness, or another misfortune. That is a theology that does not belong in the kingdom. It's not true. Because the Bible says that his love is manifest in us, that he shows mercy to us. We do not reap those things which we have sown. That is 50% of the message of the gospel. The truth behind God's mercy is that we do not end up uh, getting the very things that we deserve. Now, the other half, the other 50% of God's love and affection for us is the message of grace. And grace, I define grace as God giving us what we don't deserve. In some ways, it's the complete opposite of mercy. Mercy is God not giving us what we've earned or deserved, and grace is God giving us the very things that we don't deserve. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, God gives to each one of us eternal life that we've not earned or deserved. God gives to us gifts and abilities that we've not done anything to, to uh, earn him pouring those things out upon us. God blesses us. God takes care of us. God does so much for us, and he does it not because we've worked hard for it or we've performed properly for it, but because he loves to give good things to his children. That's God's grace. It's an empowerment from God given to us based on the work and the love of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And here's where I think the rubber meets the road in learning to celebrate others. I think we struggle with God's grace with respect to others more than we do with his mercy. I really do. You know, I think we have an easier time with the fact that maybe somebody did not receive the punishment they deserved for the things that they did than we have with somebody receiving from God the blessings which they obviously don't deserve. We have a hard time. And I talked about this on Easter Sunday. And you might be saying to yourself, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, perhaps you've heard this phrase before. Someone has said it to you or you said it to somebody else. Must be nice. When those words come out of your mouth, they expose the lack of understanding in your heart of the grace of God and how he celebrates, how he celebrates other people. 
When you say to somebody who's been blessed, who, who maybe they, got, they just got a new car or they, they, they want a bidding war on a house nowadays. I mean, this is an almost impossible thing. Or, or some other blessing has come their way that they clearly don't deserve. And you look at them and say, must be nice. It exposes the fact that you are still stuck in an undeserved culture, not recognizing that grace is God giving to us what we do not deserve. Must be nice is a rejection of the grace of God. For God's wonderful grace is about you and I receiving lavishly from the heart of God the very things that we have never worked for and never, ever, ever deserved. Amen? That's what it is. See, we have to understand we are saved by grace, we're given spiritual gifts by grace, we're healed by grace, and we are blessed by grace as well. I'm a blessed man. I know it. I know it very well. But I have come to this understanding. It's finally registered to me that I am blessed not because of anything that I've done. I am blessed because he loves me. Plain and simple. And I think it's not until you have grandkids that you really come to that level of understanding of this. You know, we're so focused when we have children as parents on doing everything right, of trying to put all the right stuff in. And, and we're so focused on if I don't do this or I don't do that, then, then this is going to happen or that's going to happen. But when you're a grandparent, you don't worry about any of that. All you do is just want to give good things to your grandkids. Amen? You just want to just pour it out. And, and, you know, and they don't have to do anything to earn it, deserve it. As, as a grandparent, I don't have to make sure that they get good marks in school. As a grandparent, I don't have to make sure they do their chores. Come on, Hannah, isn't that true? I don't have to do any of that as a grandparent. All I have to do is just spoil them. I can just open up my heart and go boom on my grandkids. And guess what? I love doing it. I love it. I love doing it. And in so, I, I think I've caught some of the heart of God. He just loves to do good things for his children whether they deserve it or not. That's the heart of God. And all it requires from us to receive from his grace is a humble heart. A humility to realize I, I didn't do anything to deserve it. I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. I, I get it because he loves me. That's it. I, I just get it because he loves me. And all my grandkids have to do is just recognize that I pour all this stuff out on them because I love them. I remember sitting with Elena one day and, and talking with her, and, uh, and I said to her, you know, uh, whose girl are you? And she said, Papa's. And I said, why? She goes, because Papa loves me. Well, how do you know Papa loves you? He just loves me. I know. Didn't have to convince her. Didn't have to work at it. She didn't have to try to come to some kind of a rational explanation for Papa's love. It was just there. She knew that Papa loved her. And in that childlike innocence is found the, the nugget of truth that we're getting at here today, that we need to recognize Papa loves us. And, and if we can get that conclusion in our spirit for ourselves and for others, we turn this whole world upside down. There's power in learning to celebrate 
what God celebrates. There's power in learning that God celebrates you just as you are right where you are today because he loves you. And there's an even greater power released when we recognize that God celebrates others the same way. Learning to celebrate others. Learning the power of celebrating others releases something in our earth that is almost impossible for the enemy to refute. And I know he can't replicate it. He doesn't have a weapon in his arsenal like the power of celebrating that God has. The spirit of celebrating one another is the spirit, it's the final icing on the cake, if you will, that, that makes the presentation of honor to our culture the most powerful presentation that we can present. We need to learn how to celebrate. Don't ever, ever, ever let those words come out of your mouth. Must be nice. Unless maybe it's, you know, a bit of sarcasm between friends, and then they know that you really, really, when you say it, really, really do rejoice in the fact that they're blessed. I want my friends to know that I am so thrilled when they receive something Something they didn't deserve, they didn't earn, they didn't work for it. They just got it as a, as a love gift from the Father. I am all over that. It is just the most exciting thing for me. And I think I'm, I'm often just as happy for them as I would be if it happened to me. I'm just thrilled that God has blessed them. And if you can get to that place, then you can build a culture of honor. But if you can't get to that place, if you can't break through to that place, if you're saying, no, I just, I just can't do it, it's still, it still isn't right, then, then you are, are literally holding back the honor of God, the culture of honor in the house of the Lord. I can't stress this enough. We need to learn how to celebrate one another. We need to learn how to celebrate one another. And when we do, we will unlock something in the body of Christ. And it'll be like a good Pandora's box. You know what I mean? You unlock it and it gets out. There's nothing you can do to put it back in again. That's what it's going to be like when we can unlock the power of celebrating others. Let me just conclude by saying this. If I put all this stuff together about honor, this is what it is like. Honor is building or building a culture of honor, I should say, is free people, free powerful people, committed to not grieving the Holy Spirit by speaking against their brother or sister, but aligning themselves with the Father by celebrating what he celebrates, the grace of God in each other. That is honor. That's a culture of honor. And that is what my heart's desire is for each and every one of you today. Whether you're you're, you know, watching here live or you pick this up some point through the week, please hear my heart today. I believe that God wants to build in and through you a culture of honor. And when we uh, build that culture in the body of Christ, the enemy will not be able to stop what is happening in the body of Christ. I want to invite you today to just bow your heads with me, and we're going to ask for Holy Spirit to help us. Father, I, I thank you today for your love for us, and I thank you that, that you have lavished it upon me, first in your mercy and not 
giving me the things that I deserve for the sins that I committed or the, the uh, evil that was in my own heart. But, Father, instead you lavished your love upon me and you did not hold them against me. But, God, I also thank you for your incredible grace where you have lavished upon me so much uh, of your heart and your affection that, that I'm absolutely amazed at what you have done. And you haven't done it according to what I've earned or deserved, but, but you've done it according to your great love for me. And, Father, I take a hold of that this morning. I'm so aware of your affection for me. And, Father, today I ask you, Lord, to help me to celebrate that in other people as well. Father, give us the grace to truly celebrate one another in the body of Christ. Father, to forgive one another, to bless one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up, to speak life and hope and strength over one another, to rejoice when others rejoice, to party with them when good things happen, to bless them because you've blessed them. Father, help us to be those people, those people who understand the power of celebrating what you celebrate, the power of celebrating one another. And Father, we ask it today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, thank you for being with us today. We are so appreciative of your time that you spend with us. We're so appreciative of your uh, prayers for us, of your uh, financial support for us. We're just so grateful for all that you have uh, invested in us in the last year and allowed us to take the time and the opportunity to invest in you. And we're just praying an abundant blessing over you as we head into the summer months that God's favor and his, his, his blessing would rest upon you and that you would receive refreshing and strength. And as things open up, that you'd be like able to celebrate with your friends and your family members and that you would literally see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And I just pray favor and blessing over you today in Jesus' name. Amen.